Hello, you're listening to Leadership in Extraordinary Times. I'm Peter Tufano, the Dean of the Said Business School at the University of Oxford. This podcast is curated from a series of live online events, which we began in response to the COVID-19 outbreak. It's never been more important to understand and respond to the issue shaping our future. We want to share our insights and our research from the front lines of business. And as a transformational business school, we want to promote new thinking when we need it the most and reveal how to find a path to the opportunities of the future. Please do explore our growing library of past episodes if you haven't already. Episode 2. How can businesses use artificial intelligence responsibly? The University of Oxford is at the cutting edge of the AI revolution. We live in a world in which change is driven by new technologies, and artificial intelligence, or AI, is at the heart of this. AI, predictive analytics, and other digital disruptions are transforming business models, processes, and customer relationships across every industry. Organizations increasingly find themselves confronting moments of existential change. And in this landscape of digital disruption, leaders need both the understanding and the tools to integrate AI into their overall strategy. In this episode, Oxford Said's L'Oreal Professor of Marketing, Professor Andrew Stephen, Dr. Natalia Efremova, and Dr. Felipe Tomas are joined by Dr. Yasmin Ahmed, Vice President of Strategy at Teradata, to discuss the principles for ethical uses of AI in business, based on a new report from Oxford Said and the International Chamber of Commerce. Now over to Professor Andrew Stephen. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of Leadership in Extraordinary Times. Today, we are talking about how businesses can use AI responsibly. We're going to try and unpack that and make it as practical uh, as we possibly can um, throughout today's discussion. Uh, I want to welcome all of you, uh, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for joining us. And I want to extend a special welcome, actually, to our uh, Oxford Executive uh, Diploma in AI for Business students, some of whom are here in the building here at, at uh, the Sci Business School and others who are around the world uh, joining us today. Because actually today is the first uh, day of one of our modules of that Executive Diploma program. And what better topic to talk about uh, for an AI program than responsible AI in business. So what we're going to do uh, over the course of the next uh, 45 minutes or so is break down this topic. We're going to hear from uh, Dr. Yasmin Ahmad, who is the Vice President for Strategy at Teradata, as well as Dr. Natalia F. Romova, who is the Teradata Research Fellow in AI and Marketing here at the Side Business School working in the Oxford Future of Marketing Initiative. And so we'll hear from them uh, in, in a little while uh, to really talk about this from both a, a technical and a practical uh, standpoint. But first, I want to bring in my colleague, Dr. Felipe Tomas, who's an associate professor of marketing here at the Sire Business School. And, and Felipe's been heading up a project um, that a number of us have been working on uh, over the last few months with the International Chamber of Commerce uh, in drafting some guidance for the private sector around responsible AI. So I thought we'd, we'd kick things off by having a chat with Felipe about this, this project, which is about to be released next week, in fact, 
um, they'll be releasing the report to come out of this research project. So Felipe, welcome. Thank you for joining us. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about this project that we've been uh, working on over the last few months with uh, the ICC. Uh, thank you, Andrew. It's a very exciting project. The challenge was how do we synthesize what we know about responsible AI applications and ethical considerations and ethical risks in AI and organize it in a way that is business sensible and it is in a way organized to allow a manager to implement and actually put it to use so that they can just go ahead and take those initial steps. All right. So, so what are some of those steps that need to be taken? Because I, I, you know, part of this is very much about coming up with things that businesses can do to try and ensure that the work that they're doing around AI and machine learning is is responsible, is ethical, is is appropriate. Um, what are some of the, I guess, the the elements in your framework? Right. So. To start out, one of the things that we had to do uh, in order to force it towards a business-oriented and actually a managerially useful approach um, was actually to force a hierarchy onto some complex ethical ideas. Uh, basically, is organizing the, the questions around what is right, what is correct, and organizing the trade-offs that managers are going to face um, in a way that allows them to actually analyze their environment. So I know still very much into like ethereal land and discussion here, but just to say that to go to a framework, we are actually forcing a way for managers to make trade-offs and decisions and assist in decision-making. So to do that is starting to go from the most complex ideas to the more simple ideas that make up those more esoteric concepts. So. Ethics is essentially a combination of responsibility and accountability. And then responsibility becomes human centricity, fairness, and the ability to be harmless in your execution. Um, and the report is gonna have the full kind of uh, components available for people to dive in. But the idea is to say, how do the pieces fit together? How do we organize them in a way that I say, what has priority, what is more important than another? It's to allow for these trade-offs. Now. When I take it to reality and I go, right, let's go, how do I do this as a manager? How do I organize my business to start leveraging these things? Uh, we start to get to those practical points. And what we're trying to do is say, okay, you're going to start from the technical aspect of AI. You're going to go to your workflow. Um, from that workflow, you're going to overlay an ethical design component onto it, which is essentially saying, here are the steps that I'm going to take. So very broadly, let's think of, you know, here's my data concerns, here's my algorithmic choices, and here's my business case, business use, what I'm going to use my outputs for. Uh, and you just map all of that out, and that overlay of ethics comes in and starts asking questions of, of the manager, saying, do I have specific threats or risks or concerns arising from my data sourcing? Do I have ethics concerns, risks associated with my data cleaning and pre-processing, um, how I use it, how I absorb it into my company? Uh, all of those things start getting mapped so that you have a good understanding of these potential threats to your ethics stance, right? So you're saying, I want to do things well, then there are aspects within your design of your workflow for your AI application that can give rise to some complications. The first step then is to map those, identify what they are, and then we fall into some fairly robust managerial aspects where we say, okay, 
what are those mitigation strategies that I can bring to bear to account for this risk exposure that I have? Uh, how do I minimize my risk exposure? And these are ethical risks, potential breaches that you can have and doing incorrect things and then institutionalizing them via AI or just like in, embedding them into code as it were and just perpetuating those errors. So this is an early mapping, understanding how it fits within what you're trying to apply and then minimize and mitigate and just live with that notion and that idea of saying that I'm going to revisit and keep coming back to this process to saying, do I have new threats? Do I recognize new things? Am I changing anything in my workflow? And able to actually start delivering against that goal, which is what is the most responsible, you know, what is a properly ethical application of AI for my business. And so, uh, Felipe, this, uh, this research that, that we're talking about is, is going to be released next week. And, and if anyone is, is wanting to find out more, they can visit oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. So what I'm hearing from you is, is in some sense saying, look, it's not about changing the way that you do everything. It's about sort of bringing sort of responsible, ethical, accountable notions around AI and data and analytics usage into existing workflows, which I think is, uh, is, is quite appealing, right? It's not about overhauling everything we do for this new way of doing things, but rather finding, I guess, some kind of happy medium. You know, am, am I getting it right in, in, in that characterization of the way that you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's important for managers everywhere, really, to have that sense of terra firma, essentially saying, like, this is familiar ground. Um, this is something that we do in business. There's a lot of new news with AI. There's a lot of hype. But from the business sense and for the business case use of it, it's very useful to go back to some of those basic ideas and saying, like, actually... I might have a new business model, I might have new capabilities, but actually the, the art and science of management behind it is still relatively stable that I can have appropriate controls over these different components. It's a new machine, but actually how I manage that machinery doesn't have a whole lot of new moving parts to it. We have some concerns that are specific to AI and some uniqueness that we describe, um, and we were able to leverage a lot of pre-existing, like one of the most exciting parts for me for this project was the way that we arrived at these recommendations was by actually going to existing body of knowledge. Everything that companies have mentioned on their stances, their guidances, governments, NGOs, we took all of that body of knowledge as well as academic literature on responsibility and ethics and AI put it all together and use our own AI machinery on it to organize it and give it the shape to put things in perspective. Sorry, I think, I think what you're talking about here is quite an appealing, um, I guess, process for, for businesses of, of all kinds of shapes and sizes um, to use. And I like that kind of, you know, that, that statement you said that businesses need that terra firma, which is business, and, and they want to come back to that. But it's also suggesting that businesses themselves need to be taking responsibility uh, for um, responsible AI. I want to hear what you all watching uh, think about this. So we're going to do a poll, and uh, I'm going to invite you to uh, to do an online poll, and we'll come back to the results uh, a little bit later on in the program. But the question is, who should be most responsible uh, for ensuring that applications of AI in the private and public sectors are appropriate, ethical, and responsible? So is it government, is it the tech companies, and so on and so on, uh, whether it's industry bodies or the, the, the businesses themselves, maybe intergovernmental organizations like the United Nations 
uh, or, or individuals. Um, but Felipe, one other thing I wanted to talk about uh, with you is, is you mentioned sort of, I guess, these principles or pillars of, of thinking about what, what a, I guess, a set of guidelines or policies would be. There's a term that you mentioned that I really want to hear a little bit more on, which is human centricity. Um, what, do you, what do you mean by that? So that one is, is kind of one of the most important layers of the, the ethics considerations, uh, which probably shouldn't surprise anybody in the room, right? We're talking about ethics and human considerations, the consequences and impacts on individuals, human individuals here. So here what we're talking about is a combination of actually achievable means and goals within the AI to deliver on human benefits. So one core thing inside of that is this idea of beneficence, which is you're going to generate something good out of this process for people. Uh, it can be very broad or it can be like a good business outcome that comes out of it. Um, a transparency, uh, which is often discussed in terms of like how deploying trustworthy AI, so on, uh, the idea to have an intelligible, understandable system. Um, all of these are components that make it centered around the human, essentially. Uh, it's almost like using the word to define itself is the more that a human can interact and the more that the system then appreciates that there's a human that is going to bear a consequence of our automated decision-making, then the more stable you are into being a responsible business and the more grounded you are in the fact that there's going to be a human cost associated with some of the decisions that we make inside of our businesses. All right, thank you. So Felipe, Sit tight because we'll come back to you uh, in the Q&A a little bit later. Uh, so thanks, Dr. Felipe Tomás, Associate Professor of Marketing. I want to now bring in our two panelists, uh, as I introduced before, Dr. Yasmin Ahmad, who is VP of Strategy at Teradata, which is an enterprise uh, technology company, and uh, Dr. Natalia Ramova, who uh, is a computer scientist and, and is the Teradata uh, Research Fellow in Marketing and AI here at the Side Business School. And, and Natalia is also heavily involved in, in the research work that Felipe was just telling us about. Um, so welcome to both of you. What I want to do, uh, and we'll come to the poll results a little bit later as well, but, but first I, I want to actually come to um, a question that actually has popped up from some of our uh, AI diploma, uh, executive AI diploma students, um, which is actually around how well a business is doing uh, at the moment. So Andrew, Claire, and a few others have, have asked this question uh, from that group. You know, if we sort of think about responsible AI, where's kind of the, the starting point at the moment with businesses? Um, are, are businesses already pretty responsible with this or is there room for improvement? Uh, Yasmin, let me, let me go to you first. Uh, thanks, Andrew, that is a great question. So how are businesses thinking about this? And I think it's worth reflecting on how do businesses think about AI? And if I just rewind back in my career, um, I was looking after data science analytics teams who were working with our clients, some of the largest companies in the world and in um, new AI data science techniques a few years back. At that point, AI, some of the newer machine learning techniques, et cetera, were isolated to these data science functions, these centers of excellence that had been set up, whether that was in the bank or the retail, or the telco company. And so 
it was self-constrained in some ways because it was one group that was developing these algorithms. It was one stop shop for looking at how are those algorithms being developed, where, what kind of use cases are they being applied to, where in the business are we leveraging those algorithms. You fast forward to today, and we really see AI being much more pervasive across the organization. Those use cases are no longer limited to one group that's doing the development work or in one business function. We see whether it's supply chain, customer experience, operations, your fraud departments, they're all leveraging AI analytics techniques to improve their operations, to create differentiation. That makes it really challenging for really large organizations to now be able to control how that AI is applied, to control the decisions that AI is making. Um, and coming back to what Felipe said there, the human centricity piece, even when the decision is automated, is there a human who is ultimately responsible for the decision that's being actioned? So I think many organizations have had to move to looking at general guidelines, putting in frameworks to support application of AI. Some of those organizations, because they've seen the backlash of when they get it wrong and um, consumers don't like it, uh, AI being applied in certain circumstances. And so we, we're seeing that AI is becoming the responsibility of roles like the chief data officer to think about not just enabling the organization with the tools, but also how do we start to govern how AI is used and applied across the business and really pervasively across the business. So Natalia, I want to I want to bring you in here and, and kind of t take the question in a slightly different way. Do we actually need this? I mean, I know you you and others have worked hard on on thinking about these guidelines, but but you know why is there a need for you know it sort of seems like we we have to keep on convincing businesses they need to they need to actually do these things because they're not perhaps innate. Um, so why why is this a problem that we need to solve? Uh, thank you for the question, Andrew, and it's a really, really good one, an important one. And this is something not all businesses ask themselves. Are we using the data correctly? Are we implementing AI correctly? Because AI function is, in many cases, not the central to the business. It, it has support role in their organization. And in this case, businesses do not pay that much attention to what is happening there, how they should curate their data, how they should care, take care of their data, how they use it in operations. This is all very important. And um, AI is something new. This is not something we use in practice for very, very long. And best practices are simply not there. So every business, when uh, coming to the question, is my AI ethical, has to decide it for, for itself. And it's not always the case that they have resources to do that, or they have education to do that, or simply they cannot find proper guidelines. So in practice, uh, AI as ethical as business decides it should be ethical for now. And do you think it varies, Natalia, sort of around the world? You know, are, are some parts of the world thinking more about this than, than others or thinking differently about this to others? Uh, and, and I'll go with you, Natalia, first, but I also want Yasmin's perspective on this, given that you're both 
both, you know, uh, you know, have perspectives on different parts of the world. So, so Natalia, what's your thoughts? Uh, well, of course, it's not the same. Uh, it differs a lot uh, across geographies. Um, I think that uh, from really my personal experience, AI ethics is mostly developed in more developed countries with uh, more technical businesses, and it's far less developed in smaller economies. It's just historically the less resources and uh, less opportunities for businesses to look at these problems. Um, so um, in many cases, AI has to comply with regulations, but in some countries it's completely unregulated. And so it's more difficult for businesses to regulate themselves, of course. Yasmin, from your experience uh, working with, with, with clients, customers in, in, in lots of different parts of the world, what, what's your take on, on this I would, I would have to agree with Natalia. I don't think it's um, consistent across the globe. In fact, I think it has a lot to do also with societies and cultures and what's uh, acceptable, what's not. And often for a society and culture, what's acceptable or what consumers, individuals, uh, citizens are willing to accept is reflected in law. So um, there's typically more regulation in Europe. And so a lot of regulation will often drive companies to take those steps um, even before the regulation is written because there's that that feeling of responsibility and it will be regulated whereas you know having lived in Europe and now living in the US I see the difference there between those geographies in the US there's typically less regulation in some areas there's kind of more innovation pushing the boundaries and then at some point some regulation will come in but it's not consistent across the US. And then you say, see um, in Asia Pacific, in Australia, it really, again, varies by country, varies by geography. And it is linked to that, that legal regulatory system of what's accepted and how our business is governed. And crucially, what are citizens and consumers expecting? And actually, Gazmi, what about, I mean, we, we talk about geography, but what about different industries? That's a great uh, lens to look at it, Andrew. And I would even take it a, a step deeper than the industry level. It's it's the use case and the application level because even within an industry, there are some business use cases, some business functions departments where AI is more freely leveraged versus other areas in the business. And I think it comes down to what's the business outcome? So how much risk are we willing to accept with that business outcome if the AI gets it wrong or if the AI is biased? So say we have AI applied to our supply chains. Um, if the supply chain is not quite efficient, it might have a negative impact on the business, but nobody's going to, to splash that across the front pages as being a biased algorithm or unethical. However, anytime you're dealing with citizens or customer experience or consumer applications of AI, it takes on another lens. So I think naturally some industries have more consumer citizens, say it's healthcare or it's banks or retailers, have a lot of consumer and citizen data and they're leveraging AI on that data. And so there, there is more scrutiny there. Whereas if you go to the manufacturing industries, um, maybe less so because, again, the application of the AI, the outcome, there's maybe less ethical considerations on that uh, outcome. So that's a good point, sort of how close you are, I guess, to, to the humans, which is 
is essentially back to Felipe's principle of human centricity, uh, I, I guess. Um, Natalia, I want to come back to you with, with a different question, though. You know, how do we get businesses to really pay attention and embed this? It sort of comes to a question that's that's come up already from some of our um, executive diploma students. But if I'm a you know a manager in, in some organization, uh, how do how do you you know convince me that beyond it just being kind of the right thing to do, that I really need to 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 think deeply about this and embed it in the way that we're we're doing things, when you know it's yet another thing that I need to in some sense comply with. Practically speaking, how do we get uh, the right people in organizations to be thinking about this in, I guess, an action way as opposed to a um, sort of a token gesture kind of way? It's a great question. Thank you, Andrew. And um, if we look even deeper, we need to ask ourselves, how can any individual working with AI um, impact the outcome and be ethical because when uh, it comes to AI implementation it's not only about managerial decisions in many cases when it comes to manager manager there is a lot of steps done uh, for example data collection or uh, data cleaning or just dissemination some information about how AI is operating. So I would say it is important to every business role to think about what is that we're doing. And it's important to understand, at least on very high level, what is AI doing which, which, with which you're working. In many cases, managers and um, other industry roles don't really know very well what's happening. And it is up to higher management to educate to the um, level people understand what are the consequences. And not only short term, like tomorrow consequences, but more longitudinal consequences. If I use this data on what will be impact on the society or on my clients next year in two and 10 years. Um, unfortunately, there are not many uh, use cases now and uh, in general management is not aware what can go wrong but um, it's probably our role as an um, educators and uh, institutions to build more these cases to say okay that there's so many things that can go wrong and we need to think about them now and like the role of education here is super important so the extent to which the the consequences are sort of the, almost the proximity to potential uh, consequences for human beings, you know, your customers, society, uh, and, and, and citizens. You know, that suggests, you know, how in some sense seriously uh, this needs to be thought through. And, and then I, I guess that's Yasmin's point. And then Natalia, your point is, well, actually, it's everyone's responsibility. This is not something that just has to exist in sort of the the technical parts of an organization with the computer scientists or data scientists and engineers who have to certainly think about it from certain dimensions and govern it in certain ways. It's not just for sort of the middle and upper management to sort of say, hey, we need to, you know, impose these rules and these regulations, these frameworks. It's for everyone. Everyone who's thinking about how data may be used, uh, how algorithms may be used to, to inform or make decisions or make recommendations and so on and so forth, which I think is these are very, very important practical perspectives. Um, it's sort of a top-down and a bottom-up, um, technical and non-technical set of things to think about. 
The other point I'd add, Natalia, is to never forget about the law of what I call the law of unintended consequences. You know, we may see that through the lens of uncertainty, but we may also see that as a um, almost a, a proposition or a challenge to people in organization to say, okay, well, okay, no, it's not just about what's obvious that could go wrong here and therefore how do we prevent that, but what what are kind of the less obvious things and, and maybe to think a little bit more um, out of the box on, on those unintended consequences. Obviously, you can't have everything on your radar, but at least expanding that set of possibilities may indeed be another way to practically help thinking about implementing, you know, responsible ethical uh, AI. Um, so I think that's all you. So I've got more questions for you, but I actually want to come to uh, a question that was posed by one of our uh, diploma students, uh, Joanna, who's, who's, who's in the US at the moment. And it's sort of to this point, I think, about everyone being responsible. But her question is, well, who needs to be in the room? How do, how do you get the right people or the right personas uh, essentially in the room to... Uh, to express their concerns, to think about perhaps these unintended consequences within an organization. So if it's not just the technical people, if it's not just, say, middle and upper management, who should, you know, basically have a voice uh, in governing this within organizations? I think it's a, it's a really important question in terms of how we implement it. Yasmin, what, what do you think? That's a, that's a good question. And it's, I think it's back to what you were saying, Andrew, it's really important that it's not just the analysts or the data scientists who are thinking about the implications of um, the ethics or the fairness of algorithms being applied. In fact, it's more important than ever to have business leaders, business uh, people in the room to discuss the implications of analytics and algorithms and AI being applied. Because typically it's those business leaders and those business people who really understand the application and how that application will go out in the world. And so what we found it helpful to do is focus the, your key stakeholders on specifics of what is that use case that you're trying to drive and what's the outcome. And when thinking about the, the the responsible use of algorithms, it's useful to think about what if the algorithm got it wrong? And in analytical terms, when we're using algorithms, we often talk about false positives or false negatives. What's the chance that if we predict something to be true, it's actually not true, it's false positive, or a false negative if we say it's not true, but it does actually happen to be true. What's, if with this, this application of the algorithm, what's acceptable to us as a business? And the use case often drives that acceptability. So think about in healthcare, we've seen use cases around AI and algorithms being used and applied to um, mammograms or CT scans to look at are there or abnormalities with that image. And so actually to get a a, a false negative where the algorithm said there's nothing wrong, but there actually is in a healthcare situation that might not be acceptable. You need a high level of accuracy for an algorithm. So at that point, if you're able to, as a business express what, you know, the algorithm can run, but there's a level of accuracy that's acceptable to the business problem that then gives your data science, your analytics teams, a direction to say, okay, we can go into testing algorithms in this area, but until we don't get to a level of specificity and the business teams can, can help to define what that level of specificity is, that algorithm is not acceptable for, for um, 
production or real real world use. And so I describe that scenario because I think it's a useful way. I liked how Felipe, I got a preview of the paper that um, the, the team have been working on at Oxford with the ICC and that Felipe described it earlier you need a way of making these vague conversations about ethics and fairness, et cetera, more tangible, more real world. How can you apply them in business? Getting into a little bit more of the details around the algorithm and what level of accuracy is acceptable helps to frame the conversation in a implementation. How can we move forward? What's the level of acceptability? Thanks, Yasmin. I think that's a really, really helpful way to think about these, you know, errors. I know it's statistics. We would call them type one and type two errors, but so the false positives and the false negatives, and and what might the consequences of those be if the algorithm is wrong for whatever reason, whether it's the wrong algorithm or the data is not quite right, or, or there's some bias for one way, one one reason or another. But then, you know, in practical terms, okay, well, if it gets it wrong, what does that mean, and what is our tolerance or required level of precision, if you want to think about it differently? That brings it down to sort of conversations that you actually have and back to to Joanna's question I think the people in the room need to be the people who can really talk about what those real life consequences would would actually be what would those errors mean to the customers to other people who might be affected maybe to your employees to regulators to whoever else might be a relevant stakeholder so I guess the point is have that diversity of opinion and, and sort of that multi-stakeholder perspective you know quote unquote in the room uh, to think about these things, but the question actually is, what do you? How do you frame the questions? How do you get them to think about these issues? And I think that sort of false positives, false negatives, you know, is, is a really useful way of thinking. So we're about at the midpoint of our broadcast. I just wanted to welcome anyone who's joined us, you know, since the beginning. Uh, you're obviously watching Leadership in Extraordinary Times here at the Side Business School at the University of Oxford. Uh, I'm Professor Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and the Research Dean, and I'm. I've been talking with uh, Dr. Yasmin Ahmad from Teradata and Dr. Natalia F. Romova from here at the Sai Business School. Uh, and we're talking about how businesses can use AI responsibly. I want to now go to have a look at our poll uh, and see what you all thought uh, about who should be responsible for responsible AI. So if we can take a look at the results, and then I'm going to see what uh, both Natalia and uh, Yasmin think about this. So... There's no clear front runner, I suppose, here, but the government is is on top, followed by sort of the global intergovernmental organizations, the tech companies, industry bodies, and uh, individuals last, but quite a quite a spread here. So to be honest, that's not uh, exactly what I expected to see. Um, what do you think, Natalia? What's your reaction to, uh, to our poll result? Well, that's very interesting. I also didn't expect this, and I would say, well, that would be amazing if a government would be able to control it and uh, provide us all guidelines what we should be doing. Uh, unfortunately, for now, it's not the case. We do have some um, recommendations from policymakers, um, and I think that's amazing that we are moving towards uh, this direction. But unfortunately, currently, um, probably the only regulations, like hard regulations that exist uh, inside the companies, inside big uh, technical um, industry organizations. Um, uh, Intergovernmental uh, and international bodies do catch up slowly and uh, they do uh, 
publish their own guidelines and set of, sets of recommendations. What I believe is that inputs from all levels are very important. And why, from technical perspective, I believe that it's difficult for governments to do is they really don't have a tool for now to check what is AI doing. So no one outside of the organization ha can check what the algorithm is doing. And even if someone wants to check the code, the problem can be not in the code, but in the data or elsewhere in the operations or production line. So it's very, very complex problem. And until we develop this centralized understanding, centralized guidelines, how AI should be developed, the, probably the responsibilities would be largely on the companies themselves because they know their business is the best. Yasmin, what do you think? I have to agree with Natalia there. It's such a complex problem to try and find a regulation or a framework that would cover the amount of innovation that is happening in this space at the moment, that it's very hard for a government to regulate. And having said that, regulation often happens after the fact. Regulation looks at how technologies, um, how digital is being leveraged and then looks to regulate uses. So I think companies do have a, a real responsibility to make sure that they are responsible and accountable for the algorithms that they're developing and how they are applying them. And as I think about organizations, I also, I don't think it's about just the strict frameworks or guidelines. I think all large organizations will have a ethics framework um, it was mentioned earlier, you know, often the foundations have been there in the organization, they need to be evolved, the ethics frameworks need to be evolved to take into account new risks or new factors that have come up because of AI and digital. So yes, there's existing frameworks, they need to evolve, but we also need to look at company cultures and how a company leads through this evolution and this change because AI, digital analytics is now impacting all aspects of our lives, all aspects of organizations. And so some of the ethics and the fair and the equal and unbiased use of algorithms needs to be embedded in company culture. It needs to be embedded in how people build these tools, how they apply the algorithms, how they analyze data. To Natalia's point, it's so complex. There's so many touch points. There's so many people that are involved in the process. It needs to be part of the, the DNA of the organization to want to have ethical use of these new technologies, new tools at their disposable. So and there's a question that's come up from, from Richard in, in my home country of Australia, in fact, who's, who's asking about you know this, this point about innovation that both of you talked about. So if, if we regulate... Uh, I guess too much. The the worry is it will sort of box in the opportunities that might therefore uh, stifle innovation. So you know, I I guess it feels like this this balance of yes, we need to have some I guess guidance from government and, and intergovernmental organisations, but obviously they can't cover everything, and and nor nor probably should they. And and I guess these regulations, because of of the the need for further innovation and the fact that that is happening anyway. We need to sort of have these as, as living regulations in some sense or, you know, guidelines around that. And I think to me, you know, my take on, on the poll results is actually, 
it's sort of everyone's responsibility in one way or another. So I think, as we were saying, we need multiple voices in the room to think about those consequences and unintended ones and, and, and the, the, the false positives and false negatives. I guess the point is at that higher level, we also need this to not only be something that governments do, not only something that uh, intergovernmental organisations do, but indeed something that companies do, groups of companies or organisations, um, the tech companies and so on and so on. So I think there's there's a need for this to be, I guess, governed um, with, a, with a small g in a, in a very collective way, which of course is going to be fraught with difficulties given all those different stakeholders. But I I, what I'm hearing is that that seems to be a way forward. I want to bring back Felipe now and, and uh, bring him back into the conversation um, because I think we've just got a, a, quite a few questions now that have been popping up. Uh, thank you to those of you who have asked questions that I think we can, we can start to go through. Uh, uh, so, Felipe, welcome back. Just quickly before we go on to some more questions, what, what was your take on those poll results? Uh, very similar to everybody else's. Uh, I, I think I have very similar read to you in that it does seem like it is very much like it's a joint responsibility. Like the, everybody has to carry some of the burden. The other bit that I think going to that first point that we have, you know, governments are being the, the most responsible, even if by a narrow margin. I guess a bit of a word of caution or concern here, uh, you know, from somebody that hasn't lived forever in the developed world. Not everybody's government is fantastic. Not everybody's government has your best interest in mind. So just saying necessarily that whose government is going to decide what is correct to do, I think that's something to worry about. That's something that I'll put out there to say, you know, yes, regulation matters. Uh, very much to your point, the, uh, the, there's a concern against the attention against innovation. But some companies are going to be restricted exclusively to their regional domains and they will have just one set of legislation to worry about, a number of companies are going to exist across national boundaries. And then like you run into issues where you're picking and choosing to the bare minimum of legal requirement rather than doing the ethical thing or doing the appropriate thing for yourself or your company, et cetera, by just forcing others to say, all right, what's the bare minimum I have to do? And that's what you do and you exploit everybody at the end. That's kind of moving away from ethics and just saying, hey, just let, let me make as much money as I can as quickly as I can until somebody catches on. So a good point, though. You know, not all governments are, are, uh, are necessarily the, the right governments, I suppose you could say here. And then, you know, just to, to reinforce your point about large organizations, I think as we've seen actually with other areas of responsibility, such as environment and, 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 and social responsibility, I'm thinking about ESG, we see large multinationals actually um, – having a big impact uh, in different countries just because of their, their global reach. So I think there is a, an important role of business, um, particularly businesses with um, an international uh, footing to sort of lead by example uh, in a lot of this and, and, of course, collaborate with those other stakeholders that we, that we talked about. So, but speaking about government, and there's a question uh, from, from Andrew, who's one of our uh, executive students here who does work for a government, and is asking, should there be a hierarchy of government concern? You know, starting with regulation, you know, for physical risk to the individual. So in other words, I guess more broadly, maybe governments thinking about sort of that type of harm, organizations thinking about other types of harm, perhaps. Um, I don't know, let, let's start with um, Yasmin, and then I wanna, wanna hear what the others also think about this, because I think it's a really important practical question. Yasmin. 
that's a great question because the implications of how algorithms are used it is a multi-dimensional challenge of there's various types of risks that can be created so as i think about even our organization and our risk framework there are a whole diverse set of or categories of risks that we consider to our business and for a government i i don't see why it wouldn't be the same with ai so as i think about um different types of risk the one that popped into my mind we did a use case with a retailer around wastage and we know how much sustainability is important right now and in this use case we were actually supporting the retailer through ai to reduce waste to reduce how much grocery products were thrown away at the end of the day but equally on vice versa ai has has also almost accelerated or amplified the fast fashion business and other businesses that are creating a ton of waste mm -hmm. and so you can begin to think about ai algorithms and the different types of risk or implications they have to societies there is the sustainability in terms of green and environmental impacts there is impacts to humans and peoples and jobs and careers there's impact to diversity equality inclusion so if i was to to think about how to put that framework together for government i would be thinking about those different categories and in terms of prioritization there's definitely some categories that you may prioritize over, over and above others those that have impact to human life for example um, but equally, I think all of those categories are important and potentially require specialists or experts or, again, business experts who understand those areas and are able to fully think through the implications of AI, which may not be apparent initially to you as a developer or a builder of the tools or the technology platforms, because this is just such a new application of analytics in, in new areas. So another question, and this one I'm going to direct uh, at uh, you, Felipe. This comes from Dennis, who's uh, here in the UK. And he's asking or suggesting, uh, shouldn't all innovation be governed by the purpose of the company, hopefully being mindful to human beings, then the planet, and then finally profit in that order? What do you think? I mean, I do like the word hopefully there, right? All discussions about ethics, none of it matters um, until there's a trade-off being made. So everybody agrees that we should protect privacy until it's 10% of your uh, sales that goes away if you take that action. Then suddenly everybody in the boardroom just goes, maybe we think about this some more, right? So it's never a problem until it touches kind of that, that money component. And that's, that's a large part of this initiative and this project and the research and the guidance is, is yeah, I think ultimately we want individuals to self-determine and say, yeah, your business is going to decide what is the best innovation and it will make the right, good choices. Frameworks like these are to help people make the right choice when the time comes. Um, if you're making a choice when there's no consequence for your business, if you're not giving something up, then you're not really facing a choice. You're just doing the right thing kind of with no cost. I'm always more curious when it's somebody's mortgage payment. If you can't pay rent, if you lose your job because you did the right thing, that's your ethical quandary. That's that's the thorn in the question. And that's when it matters having this grounding of, I know what my company stands for, I know I'm going to be back for doing the right thing, even if it's going to cost us revenue. 
and not just because it was legally required that, you know, this is what keeps me out of jails because this is the right thing to do in the, what you said for people, for environment, for et cetera. So, you know, again, comes back to that, you know, it can't just be sort of one set of rules imposed from on high, whoever that happens to be, whether it's government or the organization or, or some mix. Uh, you need that bottom up or that sort of, you know, everyone has to think about this, but that's the tension as well. Because once you make it personal, then you know people are different, and so so that's that's why this is messy um, and complex. But that's why we we do need to be talking about these issues and and finding ways to take action on them. Uh, I'm going to go to another question now. This one's for you, Natalia. Is there a sense that algorithmic tools or models are held to a higher standard than what would be applied to humans in similar situations? A bit of a human versus machine type of type of consideration here. It's an interesting question, and I would say it depends on what kind of algorithm we're talking about. Um, so definitely some algorithms that are performing much, much better than humans, of course, they had to be scrutinized more because they just work on a very, very different level of accuracy. For some algorithms, it's not not really, really that important. Like thinking about automatic irrigation system. Well, is it that important that it like gives the precise amount of water plus two minus three milliliters? Probably not. So it really, really matters what kind of application we're talking about. Uh, going to back to Yasmin's point about medical applications. If we think about uh, human health and um, X-ray analysis results. Is there like a, a single chance that it can go wrong? No. If something can go wrong there, if the algorithm can potentially be incorrect, even this when this chance is tiny, should we go for this algorithm? No. It really um, depends on this large hierarchy of risks in which uh, at the top is the human as a human being and his physical and financial and other assets. And then going back down to um, say danger or risk that technology imposes. So I would say it's again, a complex problem. All problems in this discussion seem to be very complex. <laughs> but it, it's really impossible to tell. But um, we also need to think um, beyond the problem itself. So what people often not consider is um, what are the bigger risks? For example, when we talk about uh, large data centers who drown their servers and thus they save uh, electricity on cooling of the data centers, uh, do they always think about um, ocean and warming the water and how it impacts wildlife in the long term? So. This is incredibly complex, I would say, system of questions that we need to ask ourselves. And I think it comes to sort of this, I guess the under, undertone there is thinking about the fallibility of, of, of humans versus the algorithms um, and where potential bias might come in. And so I, I think we've got time for one more question. And I want to pose this one to you, Yasmin, because I think it, it's related to that. And this comes from Walid, who's in Saudi Arabia, and he's talking about essentially the use of AI in judicial decisions or, you know, implementing laws, for example, in the context of, you know, getting rid of corruption in, in an environment where maybe there is corruption. Let the presumably non-corrupt algorithm 
make these decisions. How, how do you feel about that and those sorts of uh, approaches of replacing the, the fallible humans with a less fallible machine? That's a very interesting question, and it does link on from the previous question. Um, in fact, there have been algorithms specifically in the US judicial system that have been used, for example, um, to predict the likelihood of reoffending for uh, people who have been convicted of a crime. And some of those algorithms, the predictions have been used as part of the judicial decision-making process of do you give somebody bail or um, various decisions that might be linked to that person in their life and circumstances. And actually, uh, I can't quote the exact paper here, but happy to share offline. Some of those algorithms have been shown to be biased because, again, when you look at the judicial system, you might end up, as you train algorithms, you're potentially training them and they're learning biases from the world that we live in today. And so they are reinforcing those biases or potentially amplifying those biases that they're a person of a certain race or a color or a background level of education is now more likely to reoffend. And that gets very dangerous. And actually, it's a great example of this whole ethical question. We want to give every human person a fair chance in life. But if the algorithm has learned from real world data that if you're of a certain background, um, you live in a specific zip code and you have a, le a certain level of education, you're likely to carry a commit an offense that's dangerous. We're now no longer giving an individual a fair chance at life. We're, we're stereotyping them based on circumstances of their upbringing or their life or where they've lived. And so this is where it gets very gray, as Natalia was mentioning. How do we think about these applications, even though you can do it, should you do it? And so I, I think can you do it? Absolutely. You can train algorithms. Do you want to apply it? Do we think it's fair? Do we think it's ethical is another question. And it's important to consider that question before just taking an algorithm based on its output and applying that to society. Because worst, worst case scenario, you now create a flywheel or a perpetuating situation where a certain part of society is disadvantaged and the algorithm is reinforcing that and people can't escape that cycle. So I think as it, you know, just looking at that history of where uh, the algorithms have been applied in the judicial system, we have to be careful about how they were applied and what consequences that has for people. Right, I was going to say, it's, it's, it's back to that law of unintended consequences, but we know that those shouldn't be unintended consequences now. And, and I guess really to me that this reminds us that, yes, humans might be flawed in making certain types of decisions and maybe you know, we might put some hope in, in a, an AI system or an, a set of algorithms, but they're going to not be perfect either. And really, I think it's it's the the, the bringing together what, what I always like to call augmented intelligence of, of the humans and, and the machines, um, where we probably have a better chance of actually doing things and reducing those those types of errors that, that Yasmin introduced uh, um, earlier in the program. Um, so unfortunately, we're out of time. We could keep talking about this, but... Uh, you know, the clock is uh, is unforgiving. So I just want to thank Yasmin, Natalia, and Felipe uh, for spending some time with all of us today to talk about these very complex issues. Uh, and I'm sure this is well, it's not the first time we've talked about these in Leadership in Extraordinary Times, and it certainly won't be the last. 
My thanks to Professor Andrew Stephen, Dr. Yasmin Ahmed, Dr. Natalia Efremova, and Dr. Felipe Tomas. My name is Peter Tefano, and you've been listening to Leadership in Extraordinary Times, a podcast from Oxford University's Said Business School. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a rating and a review, and subscribe to future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I'll be chatting to Jillian Tett, the U.S. Editor-at-Large for the Financial Times, about how anthropology, the other AI, can explain business and life. If you'd like more information about this episode and the Leadership in Extraordinary Times series, please visit OxfordAnswers.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.